The following podcast is a production of Mosaic in Whittier, California, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information about Mosaic gatherings and events, please visit mosaic.org. Welcome to Mosaic Whittier. If you haven't been here before, maybe you now found a reason not to come back. However, um, uh, the real pastor is not here today, so I showed up. <laughs> a brand new series this morning, and by the way, happy Easter to all of you. And there's a lot of traditions that go on with it. I, I, uh, I tend to wear black a lot, and uh, so I thought, okay, let me, let me break out my Taliban spring fashion catalog. <laughs> Unfortunately, they had pink scarves available, so I uh, broke that out for Easter. This is as Easter as it's going to get from you folks. That's it. Done. And as soon as this is over, I'll put it away until I go to school tomorrow. Oh, no, we're on Easter break. Yeah, we're on Easter break. Um, I'm not joking about that. I, I went back to school. I never finished... When I went to college, I went back to school. I'm the oldest living sophomore. This morning, uh, we're starting a brand new series called Wonder. And uh, the topics we'll cover will be the wonder of nature and creation, peace and rest, and force versus power. Um, we, uh, the pastors get together once in a while to kind of think out some of the conversations. And someone said, oh, the wonder of sex. And you go, trouble at home, buddy? And uh, so, uh, we, uh, so we thought, oh, maybe another time. Maybe a relationship talk. And then we have beauty and worship. And, and today, being Easter, we, we were going to talk about the wonder of the afterlife and, and what that means. And I, I find that topic sort of interesting to me, um, primarily because I think that usually when people take their last breath, they're taking... In the next moment, their next breath is their first one forever. Um, and, uh, you know, I've done some volunteer work with the sheriffs and uh, Whittier. And, and so, unfortunately, unfortunately, I've been at those moments where people are passing. And it, you know, it's never romantic or glamorous like it is in the movies, you know. But, uh, you know, there is that moment when, when people move on. And so today we're going to talk about the afterlife and, um, and wonder and the wonder of that. Uh, wonder is, is one of those words like awesome where it, we just, we've just blown the meaning of the word. Have you noticed that awesome originally was meant to be like something that was awe-inspiring? It would leave you almost speechless. You were left with, ah, oh, hey, awesome. You know, that was how, maybe how the word came about. But now, you know, your hot dogs are awesome. You know, Forever 21 sale is awesome. You know, <laughs> really, that's, that's awe-inspiring. You, you are speechless at the moment of, you know. Of seeing the you know the crop top for sale, I, I know I was, but still the point is is that <laughs> that uh, it's it's a word that's that's lost some of its power and meaning, and so has wonder. And I think at some levels uh, we, um, you know, I get this. You know how have you ever been that guy? Maybe you're at the zoo or you're you're at the I don't know some thing where you should be grown up and shouldn't be amazed at it, but you still are. I'm going to suggest that wonder is as close to a religious experience as most folks get because wonder is actually just like worship. It, it honestly is. It, it, wonder is simply worship without a person involved. It's just you being amazed with the thing, the event. And, and this is what, it, it, and when people speak of worship, when followers of Jesus uh, speak of worship, what they're saying is that they are filled with wonder, but they're connecting it to a person. Now, I'm not saying that people can't, uh, you know, have moments that are very powerful and significant, and you know, it might be—I don't know. I, I mean, like I've told you before, I said it last, like it was Friday, mentioning this—that you know, I'm, I'm, I'm still amazed. To me, it's awesome that women make people. That's still kind of wild to me. And uh, and then you take it a step further; they make people who are immortals. They're fused with something invisible, invisible at the same time. Um, you know, I, I get nature. Um, 
I like looking at photos of it. I don't like to be in it, but I can see where some people would think it's awe-inspiring, you know? Um, yeah, but, but wonder is, is synonymous for, for folks in terms of worship that it just means that we connect it to a person. So what happens, I think, though, is that for most of us, we kind of bypass the moment of wonder because we, we have to explain the moment. And if we can't explain it or understand it, then we deem it unnecessary. You follow? So if I'm experiencing something, if I see something that I can explain or understand, it, it's almost like this. We have so, um, and I may, when I say we, I mean I've done this. Uh, you know, and there, there are places in my life where I still do this. Where I want to bypass wonder because of the impact it might have on my life. And go straight to, well that's interesting. You follow? We, 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 wonder is no longer part of our, maybe our experiences. We've just gone to, it's interesting. Well, that's interesting. Wow, that's interesting. I, went to, I was in this plane, it was flying. That's interesting. Have, have you noticed, you, you, uh, you know, I, I fly a little bit, uh, usually every summer. And uh, I'm, you know, at 54, I'm still that guy that you're in a plane. I'm thinking, I'm in a plane. I should be yelling excited. I'm in a flying tube, you know, where there's, there's I'm eating food in the air. And I, you know, I, I'm, <laughs> and once in a while, as my wife says, I, whenever I'm excited, I start talking to everybody. I go, you were eating food in the plane. <laughs> Peanuts. Yeah. I know it's stupid, but I still get amazed at that multi-ton things in the air and it's, I'm not falling. Well, unless you're flying southwest. But the point is, <laughs> I didn't tear that plane apart. That wasn't me. I'm just saying what it says here. So if, it's, uh, if we bypass wonder, we just get to the place where things are just interesting. It kind of keeps it safe. But maybe is it possible that the very things that we don't understand need to be experienced and they're the most important things to experience, but those things that we want to deem unnecessary because we can't explain them, so they must be unnecessary. I'm going to take you to Luke chapter 24. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, it'll be on the screen uh, behind me. Hey, uh, uh, one thing before I forget and... And when I say before I forget, I really mean that. Um, at the end of this talk, about an hour and a half from now, at the end of this talk, <laughs> totally lying to you, I, even I don't want to hear myself talk for that long. Um, if you're a person that, that doesn't call himself a follower of Jesus or a Christian or whatever you want to say that, whatever your term is, you know, that's not you. You're here today because you, know, you want to go to church with your mom and dad, it's Easter, you're supposed to go, or you're visiting with a friend. And I get that, and I'm, I'm glad you're here, welcome. We hope you have a good experience. But if you're that person at the end of this gathering where um, I'm not that individual, I'd like to invite you to my house for dinner on Tuesday. Uh, at, the, at the end of the talk, we'll take the guest cards, and if, if, you're, if you'd like to have dinner, probably do barbecue, or carne asada, uh, Hispanic barbecue, and then... Um, yeah, I live up here in Uptown, and we'll, we'll, uh, we'll just process. We'll have dinner. We'll, we'll chat and talk, and we'll go from there. So I'll, I'll remind you at the end. Luke 24, verses 1 through 5. On the first day of the week, very, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. When they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? The, uh, you know, Easter, like Christmas, like a lot of other stories, they're so uh, familiar 
that we we don't see what's important for us to know. I mean, they're just familiar. Do you ever have friends come from out of state and they're amazed at the freeway system here in LA? Right? Oh yeah. So just, <laughs> oh yeah. And, and you like, or or the tall buildings. They're, oh my gosh, your buildings are tall here in LA. Like, where are you from, man? Wyoming? Well, yes. You know, and. Um, <laughs> The point is, is that, the, okay, the resurrection, the resurrection, you know, uh, and, and so, let, I mean, let's be honest, some of us are just asking, so what? I, I, and that's okay, honestly. That's absolutely okay. There isn't really a question, a remark that's going to make Jesus say, goodness, I don't have an answer for that one. I really don't know whether that matters or not. So today, as I'm talking, I, 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 I want you to feel free to keep asking yourself, so what? You know, be the cynic if you like. It's Okay. Uh, most of us are just not honest enough that we actually have questions that prevent us from maybe experiencing a very powerful, important moment in our lives that alter us forever. So I'm going to go over a few, uh, one chapter in John chapter 20, and I'll just touch base on some of the characters there, and, and maybe you'll find yourself in that story, like, hey, I, you know, I'm kind of like that person, or maybe a mixture of all of them, and then we'll close up in John chapter 21. So here we go. John chapter 20, verses 1 through 10. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved. And they said, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where we've put him. We don't know where they've put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over, looked in at the stripes lying there, but he didn't go in. So, um, you know, four foot, four and a half feet, uh, actually kind of like this, like about that. And so, you know, rolling stone, um, sort of on an angle, so you could literally roll the door closed. It's moved, it's empty. One guy gets there, looks in, Peter's catching up. Simon Peter came and along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. You know, I, I uh, uh, find that interesting. You know, he stops, takes a look in, you know, and, and then Peter, without even thinking, rushes in, which is typical, I think, of Peter, right? When he realizes that Peter wasn't zapped, didn't die, you know, didn't transport to another dimension, like, oh, oh then I'll go in now, I must be safe. All right, then, you know, we're both in here, you know. <clears throat> he saw and believed. Now, what's interesting to me is that because we're Western, uh, I think we automatically think when he saw and believed, he became evangelical, moved to Orange County, started voting Republican. You know, he, he became that guy. <laughs> you know you're thinking that. All right. But I like verse 9. Because when it says the other disciple, he's writing this about himself. But they still did not understand from scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. I believe he's gone. (laughs) So it's obvious. But I really don't know what this means. Then the the disciple went back to where they were staying. Like, wow, what was that all about? I would have loved to have been in that conversation as they're walking back to wherever room or house they were staying at. So John believes but didn't fully understand what he was experiencing. And um, I, uh, you know, I, well, I just put it out there. I don't really have a lust for certainty. I don't have a, I'm okay with ambiguity. I'm okay with mystery. 
And I get it, you know, a lot of folks, this is not you. And, you know, if you're an accountant, if you, you're a numbers person, that does not compute. You remember the days when we had to actually do your checkbook? Yeah, you had to, but you know, no one's forcing me to do anything I don't want to do. Uh, it, was, it was always like a, kind of you round up, you know. If you were within a 20 bucks, you were cool, right? If you were, that was good enough. And uh, so I'm okay with uncertainty. I'm a little more flexible than my wife is in some cases, which has led to very, uh, you know, I, I would say arguments, but I would say passionate conversations. You know, um, I don't find myself being that black and white. That doesn't mean I don't have some views that I think are, are solid, but I, I tell you, I'm willing to hang on to my view tightly as long as reason or scripture haven't shown me otherwise. So what I appreciate about this is that this was a place that most of us perhaps don't like to be in because we want to know for sure. We want to be certain. And certainty has, certainty has its limitations, I know that it sometimes can lead to arrogance and, you know, I'm right, you're wrong, and uh, I'm in, you're out. And and for many ways and many reasons, this is uh, unfortunately how many of us, well-meaning, have have portrayed the message of Jesus. Um, The church has done this in many ways. And and by the way, when I say the church, I mean, I'm not speaking like we're not the church. You know, I would say my brothers and my sisters, my family, my heritage in many, many ways, um... But just like family, you know, there's some family that's cool and there's some family that's goofy, right? Right? Some of you guys are going to get together for Easter with your family. You're going to remember, oh yeah, there's my Uncle Pedro, you know, he's kind of off, you know, or whatever. But, you know, hey, he's your, he's your he's family. What are you going to do, right? Pants way up to here, but, you know, it's, it's family. So those two men leave in a, in a, in having experienced something very real and true they're uncertain as to what it all means. And they're not going to really, really fully step into the reality of it. They've touched reality. They haven't stepped into it completely. Okay? But Mary, the woman who was there a moment ago, um, stays behind. By the way, I find this odd. They leave talking. She's crying. They didn't stop. Like, to say, hey, are you okay? Yeah, you're right. You're good? You, you need a moment alone? All right, we're going to, they just, yeah, she's crying, whatever. You know, I, I, just, I, I wonder if they were just thinking and they didn't process Mary. But she's about to get processed, verse 11. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb. Boy, that is just, I get that. I, I've lost somebody uh, meaningful in my life. I can't even pay respects to the place where he's been buried. She's probably experiencing the loss and the mourning that over and over. And you know, we, we, we do that. You just take that second look again. You know, you keep turning back. Is it really over? Right? And she saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and one at the other foot. And they asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Now, this is where the humanity of the story gets me because if there were two people in there suddenly appear and they ask her, why are you crying? And she, she begins to talk to them. Like, like, it wasn't like, where'd you come from? Or what the, what? You know, it was just the, she starts talking. They've taken my Lord away and I don't know where they put him in. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but didn't realize it was Jesus. I've heard so many explanations for this. If you guys have been to church 
a few years, you've heard all sorts of explanations. Why didn't she recognize Jesus? My first reaction is thinking, well, the last time she saw him, it was, I mean, he was in horrible, horrible shape, correct? And so she couldn't have processed that the person that she was seeing now was the person she saw a few days ago who was um, brutalized, mutilated, tore up. The funny thing is, <clears throat> when Jesus talks to Thomas later in this story, he mentions, hey man, you can touch my uh, holes in my wrist, right? Put your hand in my side. Still has those scars. In the book of Revelation, John describes Jesus as a, a lamb that appeared to have been slaughtered, had been slain. And later in this chapter, in chapter 21, there's like a beach moment party where Jesus is cooking breakfast for these men. And uh, there's an odd little passage that says, and nobody dared ask if this was Jesus. They all kind of knew. Now, if he still has the scars here and the scar here, and John says he looks like a, an, an animal that has been sacrificed, is it possible, and I'm just throwing this out there, that the scars are still here? Follow? And here's the other thing. At a cemetery, uh, most likely a devout Jew would not be working in a graveyard. So just, I mean, this, whoever this person is, is not somebody who's really dialed into God. <clears throat> Isn't that ironic? And she doesn't get it. Now, here's why I say that also. Besides those little verses, it's not until she hears him say her name Um, woman, what are you looking for? Why are you crying? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you've carried him away, just tell me where you put him. I will get him. Boy, that's a mom. That's, that's, just, that's someone who's deeply in love, right? I'll go get him, whatever it takes. So Jesus said to her, Mary. Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Arabic, Rabbani, teacher. You know, the face, unrecognizable. But the voice, completely recognizable. Uh, that's, that's a great movie moment. You know? The, have you ever been at the airport when people are, are, are reuniting? And, you know, they, they embrace, and some folks are very happy, and uh, others are, you know, teasing each other. And, and there's some, apparently, there was maybe a long absence, and there's this clinging and tears and so happy to see you. you know, so this for me is that moment. That's how I picture this. If you, you know, let me paint it for you. <laughs> well, how do you know he, she was hugging him? Because he said, do not hold on to me. For I have, see, you don't have to be brilliant to do this. For I have, <laughs> says let go. <laughs> for I have yet ascended to the Father. Go instead and tell my brothers, tell them I'm, I'm ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. And awesome, great, see you. And so she goes to tell them. Verse 18, Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I've seen the Lord. And she told them, that, uh, she told them the things that he had said to her. Some of you have, uh, uh, you know, I, I grew up Roman Catholic, the first uh, 15, 14 years of my life and uh, spent some time as a Jehovah's Witness. And, uh, and then I, you know, came involved in a Protestant church and, you know, thought that made more sense and how, you know, the mirror narrative that I was trying to live out was, um, 
was explained to me. But I can recall times of people, and I felt this too, that weren't you that person that you grew up in a church environment that you're thinking, if this is what Jesus is all about, I'm, I'm out. Maybe there was some, some goofiness about the pastor. Uh, you know, and I got to tell you, this is about as good as I get. I'm, what you see is what you get. I'm hitting my nirvana of my life right now, okay? <laughs> I'm on right now. <laughs> I can only do it for about 40 minutes a week. Or perhaps there was some really ugly, abusive verbalness, verbal stuff, or emotional stuff, or spiritual stuff that was going on, and, and you had to go because your family went, and you know, it, it, there was different churches, different denominations. This isn't to speak ill of any particular church, it's just that, you know what, we're just goofy. And you left, as soon as, as soon as you were able to not have to go, you didn't go. Because it didn't mean anything to you, and it wasn't healthy, it was toxic. Let me share something to you. I think you were spiritually healthy to leave. You probably left an environment that even Jesus didn't believe in. You probably left an environment that had nothing to do with the God that's actually real, but some weird distortion that was filtered through our own brokenness and said, this is what God is like. And yet some of these folks, well-meaning, maybe they're pastors, maybe they're parents, maybe they're friends, you need to come back to this thing. You're thinking, no, I know better now. So I, I commend you for leaving. You are right in the place that God would have you, and that is to leave a spiritually toxic environment. Jesus wasn't at those churches at all. So if, if you believed you heard him speak once, and maybe you still want to, you know, if, if I just knew where he was, if I, if I could make sure without any other goofiness that I experienced in the past, I, w- I would be in. And so when Jesus begins to tell these men, this is, this is who I am now, this is where I'm ascending. Something, there's a shift in the universe and you're going to be part of it these men were going to need to step out of a life that they had once known, and it wasn't always bad, into something wonderful. John, 19, verse, uh, John 20, verse 19. On the evening of the first day of the week where the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. I, 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 you know what? I just regret the parts that the Bible doesn't describe, you know, was it suddenly, was it vapored, was it, you know, they're talking and he's there, you know, what? But I appreciate the words, right? Peace, man, don't be, don't be freaked, it's really me, right? <clears throat> after this, after he said this, he showed them his hands, showed them his side, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. So somewhere along the line, he had a, no, it's really, look, it's not a ghost, guys. Right? You know, right? And then there's, there's another passage where he said, they were still not quite, <laughs> really? You know, do you have anything to eat? I, I, okay, I'll take a fish taco. Let's go, and we'll do that. And he eats in front of them. He said, hey, look, a ghost don't eat, right? <clears throat> to help them, look, he was helping them believe. And somewhere along the line, I know that we've told the story that you have to work this thing up to believe. No matter how much you may want something, like believing, a healthy relationship, you know, good things to happen in your life, you know, whatever that might be, understand that God wants it more. Okay? 
So if you, like, man, I want to believe, but I just can't get there, understand that God is willing to help with that. He doesn't resent the fact that there's questions. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you don't forgive them, they are not forgiven. So this experience led to joy, and they were excited, and this was an amazing moment, and they're having a great gathering, but someone wasn't there. Somebody was, was I don't know, who, where was Thomas? Who knows, right? Doesn't say. Verse 24, now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, dude, have you seen the Lord? Maybe not like that, but probably, probably in Aramaic. But the point is that it would have been like, excited. Oh my gosh, dude, you missed it. You should have been there, snap. You know. <laughs> Someone really enjoyed that one. Um, yeah, how do you, uh, you know, so you're... The, so this marvelous moment just happened. All your friends were there. <laughs> Dude, you weren't here. <laughs> okay, so now you're Thomas. Let me shift for a second. But he said to them, and I'll tell you what, I'm not going through this again. I'm not going to have my heart broken again. I'm not going to have my hope crushed again. If I can't put my finger into his wound and my hand in his side, I'm not buying this. I'm not doing it again, guys. And he lived with these guys, you know, traveled with them, prayed with them. Um, they were his friends. They were close, tight friends. I mean, you, you stay two or three years living with somebody. If you haven't murdered them, they're probably going to be pretty close. And so these friends of his couldn't convince him to step into a moment with them. Verse 26, a week, a week passes by. Now, I'm thinking at this point, Thomas is pretty convinced that whatever they experienced had nothing to do with God. Or if it did, maybe it's like, gosh, why didn't I get it? You know, I mean, you, know, you, ever, you ever in those moments where people are just, they seem to, to talk to God in a way like it's just somebody sitting right next to them and you're like, well, I, why not me? I don't get that. <clears throat> a week later, his disciples were in the house again. But this time Thomas was with them. And though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. Peace be with you. Uh, you know, if you were Thomas, you're like, Oh man, can I fade into the wall here? How do I, let me stand behind Peter, Andrew's kind of quiet, you know. Hey Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting, Thomas, and believe. Now, he's such an iconic figure in Western civilization What's his name in, in literature? He would, he's called the Doubting Thomas, right? I have a little more respect for him maybe than that because I've been that guy where I, look, I'm not going to roll the dice on getting hurt again. And so he sets up a contract to believe. Now, some of us have done this, right? Oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, get me out of this, get me out of this. And if you do that, I believe, you know, right? Come <laughs> No, let me, you know. Mentirosos. Um, liars for our Caucasian friends. And then, because um, <laughs> I can insult in two languages. Yeah, come on, man. I mean, I, 
I've, I've had some sincere moments of prayer in jail. I've had some very, you know, intense moments of, of prayer. Like, look, look, we're adults here. Let's be honest, right? I hope she's not pregnant. But, well, that's the laughter familiarity right there, folks. <laughs> uh, someone is, 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 you've injured yourself. Someone else injured themselves. Um, business is going bad, whatever. I'm in a car accident, something. God, if you just get me out of this, if you would just, I will believe, you know, you make those bargains. And then when it does work out, let's be honest. You know, God came through, so it's okay. See, I I think the reason why Jesus does this is not to shame this guy, not to embarrass this guy. It's not that we have a great story for the next 2,500 years. Because he knew Thomas would be willing to keep his word. If I, if I can do this, I'll believe, and I'll live with the consequences of my belief. Uh, it's not just believing that I'll get, okay, I believe it's true, I got the facts, that it makes no difference in how I live. I, I think Thomas was really getting to the point, like, I just can't bear to be let down again. But if I can touch reality, I'll step into it, and I'll live in it. And so he does. And Jesus and Thomas both honor this contract of belief. John 21, verse 7. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel from Canaan and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, James and John, two of the disciples were together. Peter says, yeah, I'm going to go fish. <laughs> They told him, uh, we'll, go with, we'll go with you. So, you know, they're walking along. I mean, let's face, you read this story, and it seems like this, like this one amazing moment after the other, right? But we realize that when Jesus first met with his disciples, and to the time he meets with Thomas, is about a week. So a few days went by. We don't have a record that nothing happened, but we don't have a record that something did happen either. <clears throat> and sometimes I think we, we were those people that we are... We are so narcissistic that we demand God or we demand experiences to happen at our preferred level for us to stay in the game of belief. So they went on in a boat that night and they caught nothing. So early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples didn't realize it was Jesus. He called out to them, hey friends, have you have any fish? And, and, you know, if you're in the boat, you're thinking, this guy, great. You know, a guy like, great. You know, when, when we dock that guy, yeah, done with this guy. <laughs> no, thanks for asking. Well, throw your net on the other side of the boat, and you'll find some. What would that remind them of, an earlier incident that they, something happened, right? So when they did, they were unable to haul the, the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, dude, it's the Lord. He wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off, jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in a boat, towing the net full of fish for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire, a burning coal with some fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, well, bring some of the fish you just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat, dragged the net offshore, full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, it, 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 the net wasn't torn. 
Jesus said to them, hey, come have breakfast. And none of the disciples asked him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. I, I, that, doesn't that, don't we find that kind of odd? I, I do, right? I mean, aren't you okay with saying God's my creator? God's my maker? God's my savior? God cooks me breakfast? That's when it seems odd, doesn't it? And I think we forget how much uh, God actually acquiesces to care for us. And we're thinking in terms of, man, I've got to work this up and get to him when he's actually done. If there's, a, if there's one consistent theme in the scriptures that God always moves towards people. And by the way, he's not angry. He's always moving towards... I take it back. He is angry at people who claim to be his representatives and goof up the job. So... Um, Jesus came, took the bread, gave it to them. He did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Hey, Simon, do you love me more than these? Now, he's already talked to Simon a couple of times, right? But there's that unresolved thing between the two of them, right? I've often said that if you read the life of Jesus, those biographies, the Gospels, you find that Peter seems to stand out as possibly Jesus' best friend. He's like the guy for Jesus. And for Peter, obviously, he is the guy. For um, Jesus, is to him. But, I'm sure he meant it. He told Jesus, dude, I don't care who leaves you, man. I, I will die for you. And, no, Peter, that's just not the story. That's just not gonna, how it's going to happen. You're actually going to... Um, be so afraid, you'll pretend that you didn't know me in public three times in less than eight hours. So they've already met once, they've met twice, they're eating, maybe Peter is thinking, dodge that bullet, no sense revisiting the past, <laughs> right? Mistakes were made. No need for a DTR. The thing, about, um, the thing about Christ I've noticed in the scripture is that he doesn't, he doesn't leave a conversation unfinished. Occasionally, sometimes I'm talking to somebody and it gets, starts to get a little weird. I'm not, I, know, I know I'm missing it. I know I'm not hearing what they're saying to me. <clears throat> and so I'll ask him, hey, is there something that needs to be said that hasn't been said? Is there anything that you, you would like to say that I you didn't get a chance to say? That's this moment. Simon, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord. You know that I love you. Jesus said, awesome. Feed, take care of humanity. Feed my lambs. Right? Remember the picture earlier in John? People are pictured as, as lambs. And he pictures himself as a good shepherd. Shepherd that takes care of his lambs, right? He says, take care of people. Feed my lambs. Now, we know what, what, what feeding is the word and truth and life. Speak into them, Peter. Then, again, Jesus said, so I don't know, was it a few seconds? Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. I mean, second question. Like we, we just said this, right? Didn't we, we just did this moment. Okay, take care of my sheep, Peter. And, you know, there's remnants of the breakfast, the fish, and the bread, taking the crumbs out of the beard. Hey, Simon, 
Son of John, do you love me? And this is where he had to drive Peter to. Okay? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? Just, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. You know, I don't mind uh, being wrong. It's so rare that, um, <laughs> it's, you know, once a year, it's, okay, fine. Um, I'm even okay when people say you're bad or immoral. You know, listen, I tell my wife, look, you have no reason to judge me. And uh, <laughs> there was even a, a, this, it, it doesn't matter. Have you ever heard of the Berkman Associates, Berkman Essay, Berkman Assessments? Okay, all right. I'm going to close up here in a couple of minutes. Just hang in there. Um, but it just measures a lot of the things that you're dysfunctional in, actually. And it had a self-esteem thing from like 2 to 99, and I was like a 2 or 3. And I thought, oh, you know, I, yeah, the self-esteem thing, I think it's wrong because I don't, I'm not crippled this way. I go, oh, actually, you're reading it incorrectly. So I thought for sure he was wrong. He said, this means that you have such a high view of yourself that you assume you're right even when you're asking somebody else for help. <laughs> I wasn't even thinking. I said, you know what, that's not true. Actually, he goes, there it is. <laughs> I wasn't sure if I could take him, so I didn't, you know, I didn't go to blows, but I thought, man, I am going to pop those tires on that car. <laughs> you're going to get shibbed, shanked, and cut. Because, see, I'm Hispanic, and I you know, always carry a weapon. <laughs> a filero. Um, I tell you, there's one thing I don't like. Uh, well, but, but what he said is that, you, you know, uh, you don't really care about other people's opinion. That's what it comes down to. And that's the problem. Because it, it's great if you, you know, for confidence and if you're right, that's awesome. But if you're wrong, that could be a problem. How <laughs> you think? You know, that answers so many questions about my last three decades of being married. But here's the one place I, I, I've said this in unguarded, un, unintentional before I could let it, uh, before I could keep it behind my lips, it slipped out. I, I, I have said, so now I'm going to go public with it, I hate being weak. I can't stand weakness. I don't like it when I see it in my family. When I see someone hesitate in my family or, or, or reluctance or uncertainty, it just, it, it's a very unattractive trait to me. And so when I see it in my own life, I hate that part of my life, being weak. And that probably is why I was so physically violent in the past, because I was always a shocker, always small and thin. And so, um, you, know, I, I, you know, I was going to get my butt handed to me a few times, but I'm not, I'm, at least I'm going to take a swing, right? And uh, it's those moments that, uh, it's those certain areas of weakness in my life that I'm, I'm embarrassed about. So I don't mind feeling wrong, incorrect, bad, but embarrassed is hard to live with. In fact, it's embarrassing, you know, shocker. When I think about Peter... I think here was this guy, this man's man, this dude that was, this guy at the Garden of Gethsemane with a contingent of Roman soldiers is ready to die for Jesus and pulls out a goofy knife, right? He's ready. If there was something that I think Peter might have prided himself in is his bravery or courage. There's a moment at a government, you might say religious, think city hall, you know, biggest church in the world, 
at the Sanhedrin, when Jesus is on trial, he's already got a swollen eye, he's been beat up a little bit. And someone says, do you know this? Do you know, you sound like a Galilean. You have that accent. Nope, I don't know him. You sure? I think I saw you, I saw you tonight at the garden. With my, nope, don't know him. One more time. And he, blah, 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 blah. I don't know the man. And Luke says, just as Jesus was walking out, they locked eyes. Now, there's two things about that story that get me. Number one, who else knew about that story but Peter? So I got to hand it to him that he shared the story. I was that guy. If there was a place of embarrassment for Peter, it had to be his cowardice. I was a coward. I was really afraid for my own life and my friend, this guy that I love. If it meant saying that I knew him, at this moment, I wasn't going to do it. Three times. And, and Jesus, in his kindness, brings it back. Look, dude. I need you to stop living in that moment. I need you to forget that moment. I need you to step forward into who you're going to be. Dude, you love me? Yes. I need you to be me for other people, Peter. Look, dude, I love you. This is settled. What I've given to you, I need you to give to others. You need to be me for other people. Step into that moment. Peter does in a very powerful way. So, yeah, resurrection. And there's some stories I've left out, you know. Um, A lot of things that happened. But the one thing I'm going to close with this. All these people had powerful moments of Jesus, you know, post-resurrection. Some of them didn't get it. They didn't understand it fully. Um, you know, uh, they were experiencing something very powerful and very real, but they, they could not have explained it. They just knew, I've met Jesus just as alive as a week ago, two weeks ago. Some doubted, some were concerned, some were calling back, some were so embarrassed about stuff that they, yeah, I know, you, I know okay, I know you let me eat with you and you hang out with me, but I don't really know that you love me. Oh, dude, I do. I am so for you. You have no idea. And maybe that's what most of us maybe need to hear this morning. I am so for you. You have no idea how for you I am. And I need you to be me for the rest of humanity. So, you know, where are you in the stories? Are you willing to... I see, are you willing to experience what you may not fully understand yet? Are you willing to experience something you think you understand new? And, you know, if not... Well, then when? And if yes, okay, now what? Here's the now what. I'm going to close. Um, This, for followers of Jesus, is probably like the day, right? Paul tells us that in 1 Corinthians 15. Everything we do would be stupid if there wasn't an Easter. You follow? But since there is, everything we do in following Christ matters and echoes in eternity. But it's not just there. Because if, if it was, if, by the way, if life for following Christ and following God, if it's just something I get after I die, yeah, I guess I'm just 
pragmatic thinking, okay, that's great, but I have to die, <laughs> you know. See, life in following Jesus matters right now. It's, it's, it's dragging the future into the present and living the life that's full and, and becoming the human being that Christ meant for you to become. And so, I'm going to ask you to take a, a posture of prayer with me sitting down. You can just bow your heads if you wish, please. If you, um, you know, maybe you're that, you know, I, man, I would like to believe, but I don't think I can get there. Got you. I am ready to believe. I think I've touched a reality and I'd like to live in it. Got you. So, just to allow everybody else their moment of privacy, if you're one of those folks or you just have questions about Jesus, we want like to give you a piece of literature or a gift before you head out today, and that's it. We're not going to ask you to stand or raise your hand or anything. Father, thank you for being good to us. And what I pray is that you help us live in this resurrection, you know, moment and reality um, that I don't have to fully understand to experience your kindness and your beauty. I don't have to worry about my past goofiness that keeps me from experiencing you more completely. That I can live in the sweet spot of my own life because of what you have done in coming back from the dead that power, that ability, that beauty, that wonder that you wish to give to every one of us, every person who lives on the planet. So help us to be those people who are brave enough to say yes and live in that reality. In your son's name, amen. Thank you for listening to this production by Mosaic Whittier, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information about Mosaic gatherings and events, please visit mosaic.org.